Hello there and welcome to episode 98 of the Value Through Vulnerability podcast. I'm your host, Gary Turner. Um, thanks for joining myself today and also the awesome Renee Smith. Uh, we had such a rich conversation today um, around love at work and also human workplaces. And I just want to share with a couple of the, the key reflections for me up front. Um, please bear with us. We had a couple of minor connection issues, but nothing that takes away the richness of the conversation. Um, she run, role models vulnerability and courage so powerfully for me, um, Renee. Um, but a couple of the key points I really enjoyed and I'd like to share with you up front is that she said, I asked Chris, which was one of her previous um, leaders, what do you think is the most important job of a leader? And he, ha- he answered immediately without hesitation to remove fear from the workplace. How does that resonate with you? We'd love to hear. Do drop me a line. Let me know. Gary Turner Zero, that's G-A-R-R-Y, Turner Zero at hotmail.com. Or you can find me on at Gary, Tur- at, at Gary IP Catalyst on Twitter or Gary Interpersonal Catalyst on uh, LinkedIn. Also, what I enjoyed hearing Renee say was that she said, the risk of not creating a human workplace is far greater than continuing with the status quo. The risk we have of people disconnecting and disengaging, why not go for it? I just love this conversation. It's so, so important. It's a shame that it's taken the pace of change to accelerate the conversation, but sometimes it needs a, a burning platform, as they say, in change. And I think the pace of change has really forced organizations and senior leaders to wake up to the fact that inhumane ways of leading and being just aren't serving the greater good and I think it's really exciting that the empowerment and the accountability and the freedom for all of us to make a dent in the world has never been better so I'd love to challenge you with that as you go through this conversation you know what is it that you've been holding back on what are some of the things that you see that you'd like to challenge or maybe you've got an idea that you've felt afraid to share why not use this conversation as a way to step into your courage and to take that forward. Enjoy the conversation with myself and Renee Smith, and I'll see you, hear you, hear you, and speak to you again at the podcast wrap up. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. And I've got the perfect guest this evening for you in Renee Smith, who is founder and CEO of a human workspace and previous director of workplace transformation at Government Results in Washington. Welcome to the podcast, Renee. Thank you. It's so great to meet you, Gary, finally. This has been a long time coming. <laughs> it feels like it, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lots of anticipation. It's, it, it's fun to talk with you today. Thank you. As we get going, I'd really appreciate it if you can tell us a no, you know me, a lot of people know me and how much I believe in people-centric workplaces. Would you mind expanding on what is a human workplace and how did that come into being for you? Yeah, so I think of a human workplace um, you know, by definition as um, a professional environment where um, the, the environment itself is uh, working to align with what, all the good things that we know about um, Human physiology and uh, and neuro neurobiology that that we're not working against those things, but we're working in concert with those things to create essentially psychological safety, and that we do that by decreasing fear in the workplace and, and increasing what I would describe as love in the workplace. So that's like in a nutshell, um, that's a human workplace to me. 
It's amazing. And I just think, isn't it amazing that those two words, they're huge words in the workplace, yeah. love and fear. Yes. And neither of them are particularly comfortable for senior leaders in my experience to date. So how do, I'm really interested, how did this work show up for you? Why does it matter so much to you? Yeah. So I have to kind of take you back and I think on a personal journey, right? It, it, we're going right. to go way back, uh, back to, boy, the late 80s, early 90s even. That's a long ways. Um, but it, you know, so much of like when we find ourselves at uh, certain points of our lives and careers, I think um, we can better see the steps that brought us to this moment. And that, um, for, I know that for me, the conviction that I have in this moment about the work that I'm doing and um, why, I'm, why and how I'm doing it um, really has its roots in some pretty early transformative experiences that were difficult um, and that required courage um, and boldness really. And uh, so that definitely the, the, the boldness and courage to, to be declaring love and more love and less fear in the workplace right now has its roots way back then. So um, what happened? What, I, you know, I was a, a young person who was you know, pretty successful in school and on a, on a, you know, a college path and um, you know, off, to, off to do big things in the world and then kind of lost my way. Um, and uh, ended up getting married pretty early and dropping out of school and following my husband to Alaska, where we lived in the Aleutian Islands of Alaska for a time, you know, um, uh, kind of where Deadliest Catch takes place and um, overlooking the Bering Sea and all that. We lived there for a while. And then we lived in Homer, Alaska for a while. So eight years up there all together. And, um, you know, it was really following his dreams and kind of abandoning mine and, and uh, um, you know, enjoying life and, and an adventure. Um, but in the midst of all of that, uh, he actually, uh, we had two small children at the time and um, we had, had been married seven years and he was in a plane crash. He crashed a small plane um, in the Caribou Hills um, outside of Milchik in, um, on the Kenai Peninsula. And uh, he sustained a traumatic brain injury and was never the same. Um, and so, uh, I really looked at that time, at that experience, and, and, and uh, seized that moment as this is, you know, I'm, this is my time to live into my, my values, to live my commitment, um, to kind of show what I'm made of, if you will, and, and to rise to this occasion um, and live, live out love um, in the situation. And so um, even though it was sort of like having um, another child, really, it was sort of like being married to a teenager, a young teenager in some ways. Um, you know, persevered through that and, and tried to continue with life and stayed together for eight more years and had two more children and, um, and eventually left Alaska and came down to the lower 48. And finally, after all that time, um, came to clarity that, uh, that it was just a harmful situation to me and my children now. And um, it just, it, there was too much dissonance and um, that I was afraid to leave. I was afraid to step away. But stepping away meant, you know, stepping away from that life and into what, right? And, and there was a big, you know, I had to rediscover what that meant and decide for myself what I was going to do next. Um, and so with a lot of family support and a lot of, uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess seizing a lot of courage, I, um, I went back to school, got my degree in organizational behavior, and then my master's in organization development at Pepperdine. And... Um, and you know, all with four kids in tow and working and all of that, and and found my way into this career that I love, which is really about um, optimizing human experience and systems. And uh, 
you know, that's kind of the, the, the academic speak way or the organizational way of saying that, but, you know, it's about making sure that people can, can give and be and do their best and that organizations can perform their best and that those two things go together. Um, and so that was the, so the path that I was on. And all of that like had profound moments of, um, of having to do really hard things. I used to say, uh, I can do anything for two years. <laughs> you know, I could, like, I can, I, I like, this, this is really hard right now that trying to, you know, finish my undergraduate degree, but it's going to be two years and I can do anything for two years. And I got done with that. And then it was like, okay, I'm in this master's program and I love it. But like, again, you know, children and work and all of the, all of the things of life and okay, but I can do anything for two years again. And then really there was another like two year season of, of finding my way into, um, my job and into more, you know, deeply into my career. Um, and so, you know, hard things, um, courage and boldness uh, and having to just sort of step out in new ways. And again, finding my voice and reclaiming what I felt like I had kind of lost and left behind. Uh, and there was definitely joy in that. And there was definitely also some pain and like dealing with regret in that too. Um, but, you know, flash forward to, um, to gosh, well, the, uh, Late 2010, late 2000 teens, I get no, I'm, I'm, I'm cap saying that wrong. Um, like 2010, 11, and then um, as I went to state government in 2012, um, really more focused on continuous improvement um, in my work and uh, building cultures of continuous improvement. And it was when I was at the Department of Enterprise Services working with uh, our director, Chris Liu, um, who's a really seasoned leader. Um, that we had this conversation that like changed my life and um, I asked him point blank in this conversation so you know I said Chris what do you think is the most important job of a leader and he answered immediately without hesitation to eliminate fear from the workplace and it was just like ah oh, that's so beautiful isn't that a great answer I, I just loved it so I um and and it resonated right it resonated with me as um as something that uh, that I'd seen him try to do and he had encouraged us as his executive team to try to do and when we'd done that well good things had happened and when we'd not done that so well not such good things um, and so I you know started really pursuing understanding the um, fear at work and um, that led inevitably to the conclusion that something had to take its place and that that thing that takes fierce place is love um, and so when I, you know, with courage, with boldness, maybe with some naivety, I don't know. Um, but and I, would, I would say it was with courage, um, said that out loud in a, in a big public professional forum, 400 people in the room. Um, you know, you could have heard a pin drop. And I kind of expected that, right? I, I mean, I knew it's a pretty radical thing to say, um, but it was the right thing to say. And actually, you know, the room needed to hear me say that, the room needed to contemplate that. And I, I have the deep conviction that we all need to think about that and, and really come to grips with that choice between fear and love. Um, and so said that out loud and made a joke then to sort of break the tension and then went on to explain what I meant, you know, that, that we love our work. We love the people that we're serving. Um, we care about the people that we work with. We want to do good. We want to contribute. We, we want to matter. We want to be cared about ourselves and in doing all of this um, because it's a huge part of our lives. So of course love is something that belongs at work and that's just and, and when we are in a condition where we feel love we give and 
do and can be our very best. And there was spontaneous applause in the room. Yeah, 400 people, yeah. And, you know, for weeks later, people were emailing me and stopping me in the halls and other agencies. And, you know, and they would say to me, I was there when you said that. Keep saying that. And I thought, whoa, like, okay, wait a second. I have, I've, I've put my hand on something. I've touched something here that uh, I need to understand better. Um, and so that set me on a journey to not only sort of better understand fear, but to better understand love. Um, and so, yeah, that, that the, the early, like the early roots of facing difficulty, of facing sort of, um, um, you know, uh, real deep personal challenge and hardship and um, having to face my own humanity, having to face the humanity of, you know, my husband um, and struggling through those things and then having to um, make decisions that were authentic and learn to you know, speak up into the world again when I felt behind, you know, eventually professionally. Um, and, you know, all of that infuses what I do now. All of that infuses the, um, I, I think that the humanity that I bring to the, you know, the moments that, that we can talk about later in our human workplace gatherings, um, I think it infuses that because um, it's just like built into who I am, that struggle um, and also the deep care, for, you know, for people. So, yeah. Renee, thank you so much for sharing so vulnerably and openly. And I just think, what well, there's so many questions. But there's one I'd really like to ask, which is actually, mm-hmm. as you reflect on that introduction you just shared kindly with myself and our listeners today, yeah. what do you think has been one or two of the major learnings for you, as in mm-hmm. for your growth? What's helped yeah. you? So, okay, you stepped into your courage. We understand that. But what are some of the learnings from that experience as you reflect that you still hold dear as you go on to serve in the future? Yeah. So a couple come to mind. Um, One is this idea of investing in yourself um, and that, that, that you're a good investment, right? And so for me, investing in myself back in, you know, 2000 looked like in going back to, to college, right? And, and, and even though, I mean, I could have found a job and slugged it through and, you know, but know that I, I was worthy of investing in an excellent education and that that investment paved the way for everything else that's happened. Um, and so I'm a, I'm a big fan of higher education or, or at least, you know, in the right kind of investment, the right kind of education that's going to be aligned with who you are and what you want to do. And that was the right thing for me. Um, and, and it, you know, it, it was, it definitely, you know, it was costly, it, it costly in time and treasure and, um, and all of that, but it has absolutely been worthy and, and, and worth it to do that. Um, I think the other thing is that, um, in all of this, like, um, boldly stepping forward, doing hard things, investing in myself, that there comes a moment when I had to declare myself and no one else was going to do that for me. And I'll tell you a story about um, what, like what happened that really crystallized that for me. And that was, a, a, again, one of these pivotal moments. So I was working as an administrative assistant in, a, in an office, um, in a, a dental practice, paying bills and while I'm in school and trying to make ends meet. And, and I had begun to already, you know, this is when I was in my master's program, and I'd already begun to do some consulting work um, and, and take this work out into small business and to nonprofits and whatnot. Um, in, in certain ways, um, but the, um, I, you know, it was a, a very beginning, and this woman came in, and she was a new patient, filling out her forms, and she handed them back to me, and, 
And she began to tell me about herself and that she was the um, executive director of a, a chapter of communities and schools in our local area. And she went on to say, you know, we're in the middle of this, this um, big transformation, this um, important time of transition and need to do some strategic planning. And, and she said, you know, I don't, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do, but you know, and why she was telling me the administrative assistant and the dental practices, I, you know, it made no sense, but she did. And as she's describing this, I thought I could help her with that. Like that's my work. Right. Um, but you know, it was a moment. And so um, I looked at her and I, and I just said it, I said, well, I can help you with that. And that was a declaration moment, right? Um, if I hadn't made that declaration to her, um, the, the whole next year of working with them deeply and doing, uh, you know, very kind of sensitively planned strategic planning work that was thoughtful to their moment and condition and that got them out in the community in a whole new way and that they seized on and went on to like new levels of performance and engagement and growth and just beautiful things came out of that year with them. Um, and then other, for me professionally, then other connections from that experience that led to other engagements and, and really the launching um, of my career. Um, and it all came from that moment of, you know, of saying, I can help you with that. So I think declaring yourself is, is an important thing that, especially when we're transitioning from being some, you know, some other person in the world to being in a new and different way in the world, we've got to declare ourselves. That's just my, those people that listen to this podcast, my whole body is just going buzz, 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 buzz. Honestly, <laughs> it's, it, it's one, the story, Renee, but it's how you show up. Like your ability to just speak your truth and your experience. It's oh, beautiful. It's thank so you. clear. Yeah, that clarity piece. And I think what's really interesting, <laughs> you're building your career from having the courage to speak up in a dental surgery. Not many yeah. people have got that story. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. And, but we, you know, we often, you know, we all start in humble places, right? And, and, you know, and there's nothing wrong with, a, you know, a career in a dental surgery either, right? Um, but for me, that wasn't where I needed, that wasn't where I ultimately belonged. We all have places where we ultimately want to be and feel drawn to. And so that was a, an important place to be to feed my kids. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and the thing is about that moment, like it could have easily slipped right by in like the social pressure of it not being appropriate to speak up or, or me like um, holding self-doubt, like I haven't quite done exactly what she's saying. And, and particularly as women, you know, women um, tend to second guess that moment. And, um, and so I'm just all about trying to remember to, you know, to not, to just say it, to just own it, to claim it, to um, step into that. It's, it's, it's so beautiful because both those points around investing in yourself and, you know, claiming your spot in the world. It's really funny because I'm a little bit behind you on that journey. And what I've, what I've been experiencing mm -hmm. the last sort of six months, even Renee is, mm -hmm. so I work in a big corporate job. I've done some of my own transformation within a team at work, but I've sort of done it. I'm a sales guy and I've mm -hmm. done the people bit that I love and I'm, yeah. I'm here to do sort of yeah. behind like the Trojan horse of the day job. And what yeah. I'm finding is I'm in that, I'm probably coming close to your your experience of actually just stepping up and saying oh, I still want to be here but I want to be this while I'm here rather than yeah. what you want me to be and I'm sure that's going to resonate with so many of our listeners is like mm. how, what what is what's going to stop us and I want to come back to your point about fear and love 
because I think the only thing that's going to stop us stepping into our full power is a lack of self-belief and fear, or maybe the other side with love, just a lack of self-compassion, not yes. believing we're worthy. Yeah, that's, yes, the self-doubt. Um, and so, you know, when I, I think about um, yeah, not believing that we're worthy or that we can be what need, what the moment's needed. And, and I think somehow we also can think that um, that others who have stepped into that space are somehow that they've got something magical or something else special going on that somehow we don't have. And I just think that's not true. And I, you know, discovered that's not true. That, that was one of the beautiful gifts that um, my master's program actually gave. Um, Pepperdine's MSOD program is really dear to my heart um, because it, you know, I like to say that that, you know, it's a master of science in organization development, but I like to say that it's a, it was really a master of self. The S is actually self instead of science, <laughs> or both, I guess. But, um, but there were, you know, we were in residence with thought leaders. Um, you know, at the time it was um, for eight days in residence and then um, work back home and then come together eight days a quarter for two years. Um, yeah, that's the right way to say that. And so, um, you know, we would have people that wrote the books and that were the, you know, again, the thought leaders that would come and, and be with us in, in residence wherever we were in the world. And, um, you know, it's not just in a classroom and having an engagement maybe, or maybe even meeting in a, you know, outside class for over coffee for a discussion or something, but it was over breakfast. And, you know, and then it was throughout the day. And then it was, you know, after hours in the evening, sitting around like really talking about, these concepts that we were learning about and the practice of them and what I learned in that was that um, that I had something to contribute you know here I was coming from being you know um, the woman who dropped out of college who got her degree laid who you know had all these kids who didn't have the the big deep career at the time and um, and you know felt behind and catching up and yet you know sitting across the table from um, you know, these highly respected people that, that you know, that feel like the magic people that, spent, that, that must have something special going on. Like, no, I could, I could contribute to that conversation. And that realization has also really propelled, you know, what I'm, what I'm doing now. So I, I have a, I want to share a poem with you. Can I share a poem? Please. Yeah, I, I, I love this poem. It's a David White poem. And I think it kind of speaks to this, this, you know, what we're talking about, this moment of, um, of, self-realization or of wanting itself, you know, wanting to bring ourselves out and, and like, where do we begin? How do we do that when we might be hesitating and, and uncertain? And the poem's called Start Close In. He says this, start close in. Don't take the second step or the third. Start with the first thing close in, the step you don't want to take. Start with the ground you know, the pale ground beneath your feet, your own way of starting the conversation. Start with your own question. Give up on other people's questions. Don't let them smother something simple. To find another's voice, follow your own voice and wait until that voice becomes a private ear listening to another. Start right now. Take a small step you can call your own. Don't follow someone else's heroics. Be humble and focused. Start close in. Don't mistake that other for your own. Start close in. Don't take the second step or the third, but start with the first thing close in, the step you don't want to take. Isn't that awesome? It's beautiful. Thank, thank, thank you for sharing, because yeah. it, really, it really makes me think about 
so often, you know, I'm a big thinker as well. So I can look forward five years ago. Why aren't we there yet? Like, here's all the steps we can take. But it is that it's being okay with marginal gains. It's being okay mm-hmm. taking those steps by steps and not needing. Because I think part of the challenge for me, Renee, and I'd love to, to, to hear how how the human workspace that you're looking to bring to the world and also the, you know, the gatherings that you're creating. One of the big challenges for me is still the short termism of thinking and life versus enjoying the journey of life. And I'm just wondering how that, what that means to you in terms of sort of embracing a life versus the short termism that we've all been brought up on. Yeah. And say more about what you mean by short term. So what I mean is if I think about like financial markets, for example, or if you work in a corporation, everything's about the next quarter. So all of the behaviors, all of the Mm -hmm. energy then becomes about the next quarter and not about what we might achieve on a longer term basis. Yeah, that is that is a struggle for sure. Um, And uh, I, you know, there are there are always going to be those pressures on, on leaders, um, particularly those who are closely tied to the market to, you know, to, to attend to that more than they're attending to, um, you know, the, the long-term, um, more sustainable culture and way of working. And it's, I mean, and it's hard because I think there are, by, um, by not creating a human workplace, um, there are, short-term impacts that are immediate but they're just hard to see and quantify they're like they're insidious um they're in the you know oh we got to fill that position again you know because you know that you know somebody just left that supervisor's you know team again and you know well we slog through it and we just kind of consider it the cost of doing business right and and um just something we got to endure because that's just this is how it is well maybe maybe not you know maybe whatever's happening there is, um, you know, if we looked and really co- and found out and dug a little bit, maybe we would find that, um, that there are inhumane kinds of practices going on in that team that are driving people away. And it is costing us dearly, immediately dearly. Um, but we, you know, we've got to be able to be more circumspect to truly see that and um, to surface those kinds of um, tolls that are um, being taken on organizations and on people. Um, yeah, yeah no, th- thank you. I-, I love that word insidious, actually, because I think it's helpful for us to think about, actually, it is sometimes the unseen that are the mm-hmm. things, that, the, the opportunities. You know, and I think it's the same in us. And I love how, you, again, back to your own journey is often we don't see in ourselves our greatness. We don't see how good we are or the opportunity within ourselves. And I'm wondering, how, would you, how do you go about trying to help people see inside themselves the opportunity that maybe they can't see in themselves. Hmm. You know, I, I, I would, the thing that, I think that's a hard thing for me to answer. I think that there's sometimes, you know, I, I get feedback that it's sort of how, you know, how perhaps how I show up with people. Um, and so it's harder for me to speak to that. But I think the thing that I can more easily speak to is the, this, the gatherings that, and what I see happening and the value that um, people are finding in themselves and communicating with each other in these gatherings, which actually I should say does have this connection um, to immediate benefits in organizations as well and, and in you know, different workplaces. So maybe I could, uh, let, let me describe what those are Please, and, and, um, and help, me, help me remember to weave it back to the question that you just asked too, if I don't quite get to it. Um, so, you know, in, I, I did all this research on love and fear 
um, and, and started interviewing people in formal research interviews and asking them stories about times when they felt afraid at work and when they felt loved at work and gathered those stories and kind of went away to the ocean with them and looked at all that data for about four days and found, um, found the themes and found the pattern in it all and found um, like types of stories that people told about fear and about love. And, um, and you know, I should say that um, many people, you know, readily use the word love and, and, and didn't have a problem using that word in terms of their workplace experience. And a whole lot of other people would say, well, I wouldn't use that word, but they would use, um, you know, another, a substitute. They would use respect or trust or empathy or inclusion or appreciation or kindness, something like that. Um, all of which have their roots in, in love. There are all sort of versions of love. Um, and then people would talk about different particular things that leaders had done, particular things that teams had done. And they would talk about, you know, people being there when they were in crisis, personal crisis and, and support that they received. And like those were kind of the different versions of love in those kinds of different settings were like the intersection of the stories. Um, and so in all of that, the, you know, doing all that research, um, some of it I did in, you know, a lot of it in one-on-one -on -one interviews, but some of it in group workshops where I would um, have people interview each other and then tell each other stories back to the group. And then we would analyze those stories together and, and you know, caught the, um, got the, um, the insights and data from those stories. And one group of eight people at the end of the day on a Friday afternoon after like a re it's hard work doing, you know, all this like storytelling and bearing your soul and analysis and all of this, like it's, it, it was exhausting. And yet they hung around at the end of this Friday afternoon and, um, and didn't want to leave and kept talking for like another half hour and they named themselves the love squad <laughs> and they wanted t-shirts and uh, they wanted to get together again. And so I said, sure, we can get together again. We're, in, we're you know, at this point, we're in state government and like, we got no money for t-shirts, but <laughs> we, we can absolutely get together again. Um, and so that was where the human workplace gatherings were born, um, was in this request to get together. And so um, we started with these 50 people that I, you know, interviewed and made this mailing list of 50. And uh, 20 people showed up in December of 2017 to the first gathering. And really it was exploratory. It was, you know, what, can, what could this be? Like, what, what might we do? What could we talk about and, and um, practice here? And over time um, then has evolved to where now um, in, you know, we have a human workplace Olympia, a human workplace Seattle, a human workplace San Diego that are ongoing. And then I've also held gatherings in Reykjavik. We've held two in Copenhagen. I'm one in Barcelona, and I have people interested in hosting in New York City and in Salem, Oregon, and Portland, um, in Atlanta, and Spokane, and um, in Rome, um, in, in New Zealand. And so there's a whole, um, perhaps even in Manila, there's a whole, you know, interest in like, how do we bring what's happening, what you, what we've done in Olympia to these other places? And um, and then in Olympia, you know, particularly now, you know, it's, we've gone from a mailing list between, you know, all of the lists, I think we've got 1700 that we're, you know, reaching out to, um, you know, every month and um, on the list. And, and in Olympia, we get regularly 60 to 80 people that show up, about a third new every time. Um, I just yesterday sold out in about six hours, 120 seats for the next human workplace gathering that happens to be partnering with um, the Black Communities Business Resource Group, part of the business resource group that's part of state government, and um, we're co-hosting, and it will be on the Black experience, and it sold out in six hours. So we're going to be looking to see if we can open more seats just because there's such demand 
um, and you know we can uh, reach more folks, get more folks there. So it, what happens though in in these gatherings um, and and you know getting to you know people finding value, um, people feeling seen, people feeling connected, and having a sense of belonging, is that um, these gatherings are are about um, building relationships um, and creating. Um, with a, whoever shows up in that particular gathering, uh, a sense of connection and community and belonging, no matter if they've been there before or not, no matter if they know each other or not, um, and that we invest deeply for the, about the first half hour in building of a two-hour workshop or a two-hour, excuse me, gathering, I should say, we invest um, about a half an hour in building those relationships. Um, and then the next 75 minutes or so is on the topic, and the topic might be trust or empathy or we've done the science of awe outside, um, gratitude and appreciation um, and the different kinds of topics. So basically exploring different um, experiences, different expressions of, of love and humanity uh, in a professional setting. Um, and the, those 75 minutes have a little tiny, tiny teaching component. Um, it's not expert at the front of the room talking at people. And instead, um, it's just giving people enough to then practice, to reflect on, to dialogue about, to um, to have conversations and and explore together, and and to discover what it is to be human at work, what it is to be human in a professional setting. And built into each of those topics is always what I would call some kind of a micro um, behavior, because we have these moments. Um, that are essential in organizations that we need to show up humanely and, and as you know, fully human. And when we get those right, uh, it, it helps propel our cultures forward. But when we get those little moments wrong, um, it's, you know, it's counterproductive. So we practice things like listening from the heart. Um, we practice seeing each other. We practice um, you know, being able to share and disclose about something. We practice witnessing someone's emotions. Um, we practice, uh, you know, affirming. I mean, and, and, and these sound like, well, maybe sort of like head-slappingly simple, and yet they are so foreign in so many situations for people uh, in the workplace. Like they're, you know, we leave all of that at the door to come in and be professional. And what people uh, have said clearly is, uh, no, I, I, I want my workplace to acknowledge that I'm human and, and to let me be human. And if, you, and if you do that, I will give you my all. I will be loyal. I'll bring it. I, I will feel trust and safety so that, um, you know, I will go to the ends of the earth to make this organization successful. But if not, if I, if I don't get that, if I get that you don't really care about who I am, um, and you're not going to, you know, sort of pre provide an environment um, where I'm psychologically safe, back to what we talked about at the beginning, um, then no way. You know, I'm going to hold back. People just naturally withdraw. And we've all seen it. I mean, if we were to explore stories, you know, with each other and with listeners, you know, and we've all got those stories. So what I find is that in, in this environment, in these human workplace gatherings where we're doing this deep relational work and then practicing um, real skills around how to be human together, that, um, that it draws people out and they get confident about both who they are as people and being able to um, to practice these skills at work and they go back to work and they are different um, and they are infusing their team. They're infusing their, you know, supervisory relationships or the management or their leadership. We have people at all levels that, you know, join us. Um, they're infusing their workplaces um, with, you know, with more humanity and with more love. It's, it's, it's so beautiful. It's, 
it's it's so it seems so obvious but it's so hard at the same time for people if you're not used to being for, for period of this podcast you know people must be able or they, they learn with you renee how the vulnerability has got to be a part of that to be able to oh, feel totally. your emotions yes must be part of that journey i would imagine it's absolutely it's essential yes it, it, it's built into all of that that i just talked about it it is vulnerability all the way <laughs> and but it, you know the the um the the effort or the the thoughtfulness around how we come together to make it okay to be vulnerable right is is that's part of what we're really tending uh, paying attention to and trying to care around um you know I, I think one of the things that i've noticed is that um you know when i first talk to people particularly like folks in hr or, or in leadership um, and we talk about the concepts of decreasing fear and, and, and you know, increasing different versions of love and making work more human. Um, that, you know, there's, there's a, people can pretty readily, you know, connect to their own experience. And, and, and when you, you know, tie in the neurophysiology to all that, like, it makes sense. We don't want to be in a fight or flight or freeze or appease mode. We want to be in, you know, in, in a more connected, rested um, and relaxed place where we feel psychologically safe like all that makes sense but then the next step is usually well what are the formal programs and policies that we can put can we put in place you know and what are all of the usual organizational levers that we can pull um, to make that happen you know um, and so we, we trend, then tend to try to make a program out of all of that and there there are there's absolutely you know, needs to be all of the usual programs. And, you know, we need to think about, you know, organizational strategy and structures that are in place and the processes and policies in place and the people that we're hiring and, and what we're rewarding, all of, the, all of the organizational design elements. We've got to think about all that and make sure that if we're going to say that we're going to be about decreasing fear and, and increasing some version of love and making work more human, that we, that we tend to all of those things. But we can also do all of those things and have, um, have the little micro moments undermine it all. Um, and so, you know, it's the, it's the human moments day to day in the workplace, in a team, between a leader and a, and a team member, or, you know, among team members that make or break all of that formal stuff. And so if we're not attending to creating an environment where we stop and we turn and we face someone to truly listen to them, and we look them in the eye and we turn away from our devices and our computer, like, and, and we hear them and, give, you know, if we're not doing that, for example, um, but instead we give them a flip answer or we're sort of half paying attention, then we're subtly communicating that all of those programs are really just, you know, they're, that's just words, that's just stuff on paper, that's just organization stuff that really they don't mean it. Um, and so, you know that it I think we've got to pair the um, building micro skills these essential human skills with those organizational mechanisms that we put in place and if we have both then you know we've got we've got more of a fighting chance to make a difference and to really be successful it, it's so intriguing for me because I, certainly my own experience as well it's it's not as if any of the stuff you're sharing kindly with us today Right. is not already there right yeah yeah that's true yeah it's not it you know the, it's not rocket science right um and yet what are we doing you know what are we doing 
it's, it's so it's so it's so interesting as we start to wrap up you're an absolute joy Renee and I'm so I'm so grateful for you joining me today I'd, I'd love you to maybe just leave with the listeners just another reflection not necessarily advice but if you've if, you, if we've got some senior leaders listening now or maybe someone even at home with their partner is struggling to feel into their emotions or to really use the word love do you have any sort of recommendations maybe some signposts to some of the work that you're doing just to just to get them to build some confidence around this term so i would say one of the things that you can do um is to there's part of the uh, the research prompts that i used um were you know tell me a story about a time when you felt afraid at work what happened what did you do what did others do what was the impact of that on you and um, on your work and on your team and on your body and on your um, personal life and what did it mean to you and then tell a story about a time when you felt loved at work in whichever version of love you would choose to portray right um, and what happened what did you do and what did others do and the impact and what did it mean to you and I would encourage um, some pausing like take some time that's a good time maybe you're at a journal right to take a little bit of time and reflect on your own experience um, you know, journal a time when you felt afraid at work, like really think about that. And we actually, I have a link on my, um, on my website, actually, where um, I'm doing some work with Marcel, Marcel Schwantes to gather stories to further deepen that work. So you could go on the website and even share it if you wanted. Um, so, uh, you know, but reflect on your own experience. Um, consider what the impact of fear has been on you. And then consider what the impact of that loving experience was on you. And I honestly, I haven't met anyone yet. I've met no one who said to me, oh no, you know, bring the toxic fear and like, I'm going to do my best work. I work best when I'm scared spitless. Like nobody says that. Mm -hmm. People do want to be challenged. Like people are eager to be challenged. And I would actually say that challenge challenge from a leader or from colleagues like you know we think you can do that or here's a here's a new step we want you know we want you to take on this hard assignment that you've never done before um or you know take uh, take on this task or this role or you know that kind of challenge we're eager for that we're eager for somebody to believe in us that we can do that and that's a version of love um but that's not toxic unless it's just like uh, we're set up to fail. That's a different story. But, you know, being challenged and, and the fear that comes with like, whoop, wondering if we're going to be able to do it or not, be able to succeed, um, that's good and healthy. Um, so um, I would, you know, I would just encourage um, reflecting on our own experiences and understanding, um, you know, how those have, have played out for us. And then considering, um, you know, we, we take all kinds of risks as leaders like we take them all the time we calculate the risk and and i would just offer that i think the risk of not creating a human workplace is far far greater than the risk of continuing with the status quo um, and and you know leading with fear or allowing fear to be insidious in our environment um, that like the risk that we have of people disconnecting and and disengaging, you know, it's far greater. So why not, you know, why not do it? Why not go for it? Why not, why not, you know, in this, in this opportunity, um, in, you know, make the choice to like be that leader that you want to look back on at the end of your career and say, 
this is when I turned a corner and, um, and I, you know, became the leader that I'd always wanted to be, that, that I want to talk about when I retire, that I would want to write a book about or that I'd want somebody, you know, to stand up and say, you made this difference. Um, you, you took a chance on me. You believed in me. We created this amazing team environment. We did this incredible thing for our customers. Um, like all of that happens when people really uh, believe and trust and belong with each other, when they have that sense of belonging and, um, and it all starts right Gary with vulnerability. So I love, I love the name of your podcast. You, you <laughs> nailed it right there. <laughs> Well, just thank you, Renee. Honestly, you're an absolute inspiration. I'm really pleased we got this time together. And I just think you've just polished off a wonderful conversation perfectly. <clears throat> Why would you well, not? And what are the risks of not? Right. Well, we, we know from like we know from the you know, Gallup survey data, right? We, we know from from, you know, most organizations, employee engagement survey data that that what we're doing isn't working as a professional culture in the West, what we are doing is not working. So really, what's the risk of, of trying love for a few decades that might, uh, might do us some good? I think it would. <laughs> Wonderful. How can people find you, Renee? What's the best way? What's, what's websites, social media? Uh, yeah, so my, um, my business is a human workplace. Um, and so you can find me at a humanworkplace.com or makeworkmorehuman.com. And my email is renee at makeworkmorehuman.com. And, um, I, you know, I've had the, the great joy um, over the last, you know, many years to be a state, um, a public servant in Washington state government and, and to be director of workplace transformation in the governor's results Washington office. And, um, uh, you know, it's been such a privilege to do that work. And, and beginning in March, I am stepping away from that and um, uh, as an employee and, um, you know, bringing this work more broadly to the world and focusing full time on writing a book and on uh, holding human workplace gatherings around the world and, um, you know, sharing this, sharing this message um, that's, you know, sorely needed. So. Wonderful. Well, look, thank you for sharing it. It's inspired me. I know it will have inspired other people. And uh, good luck with your next journey. And let's keep in well, touch. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thanks, Gary. Cheers, Renee. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hello there. Just Gary Turner, your host, wrapping up this wonderful conversation with Renee Smith. Of some of the, the biggest things that resonated with me were where she spoke about the fact that we all want to contribute, we want to matter, we want to be cared about ourselves. Of course, love belongs at work. And when we're in a condition when we feel love, we give and do our very best. And I also love bolted onto that how she said, I had the deep conviction that we all need to come to grips with the choice between fear and love. I think there's such a powerful reflection that for me. Like we can so often fall into being a victim, believing that the world is doing stuff to us from the outside in. But actually, we have never ever have our ability to love and be compassionate and to forgive. None of that ever leaves us. It's just a choice we make in the moment, depending on, uh, on where our mind is. I'd love to know if you challenge or uh, reinforce that. I thought it was particularly powerful, and this re really resonates with me personally, where Rene shared that you are a good investment. Invest in yourself. I was worthy of investing in. It's like you know, we hear so much about the oxygen mask. We hear so much about doing for others and being of service. And that's really, really important. But we really do need to continue to develop ourselves. And I don't think, and I was guilty in the past, 
of believing that my work organisation had the sole responsibility for my growth. That's how I used to think about it five years ago. Whereas now, you know, you'll listen to this podcast. Thank you for joining us. There's thousands of podcasts. There's loads of free courses online. There's a network of people ready to have a conversation with you and to share and grow and challenge one another. Like, it's never been so easy to continually grow, but we do have to be intentional about it and we do have to believe that we're worth it. So I'd love to know what your thoughts are around that. Um, I also enjoyed it where uh, Renee spoke about the fact um, that she asked people to tell me a story about a time when you felt afraid at work and also tell me a story about a time when you felt loved or any version of that at work. I'd love to know what, you, what comes up for you when you actually hear that on reflection. Please do drop me a line at garyturner0 at hotmail.com. That's G-A-R-R-Y turner0 at hotmail.com. I'd love to know what comes up for you um, on listening to those two questions. Um, and finally, we need to be creating an environment where you stop and we turn and we face someone to truly listen to them. And we look them in the eye and we turn away from our devices and our computer and we hear them. I don't think I've come up with a better dis- passionate description of slowing down, connecting on a human level and truly being there with the other human being. Um, so I was very blessed to um, train in the Nancy Klein's thinking environment with Jane Atta Grant um, at the end of last year. And this speaks beautifully to that generative listening. Um, and guess what? There is so much within us, so much potential, so much innovation, so much insight, but we're often too busy layering up um, that innovation and that insight through busyness and we just if we can just prize connecting on a human level and creating the space for one another for these insights to arise you'd be amazed how much more we get done in the same amount of time anyway i hope that you found this conversation interesting do connect with renee she's a lovely human being um, really excited to see where the next steps of her journey take her and i'd love for you to connect with me um, you find me gary interpersonal catalyst on linkedin find me at Gary IP Catalyst on Twitter, and my email is Gary G A R Y Turner zero one word at hotmail.com. And I'd love to keep the conversation going. Next time we're at episode ninety nine, a big landmark's on its way at episode one hundred, and we're really looking forward to you joining us uh, as we go through that milestone. Until next time, take care, be safe, and keep learning.